chance on here. Pulisic picks up the loose ball and he could be in. Christian Pulisic for Chelsea, 1-0! Quick thinking by Alisson, and if Salah could lift it, still Salah, Salah! The Ghost Goal Podcast. dedicated your time towards and it's come to fucking fruition with the biggest achievement that we could have ever gotten. Let's approach it as such, yeah? <laughs> come on. I don't think I could have started a podcast any better way but uh, my name's Alex Moss. I'm here with my younger brother Hugo. Uh, welcome back to the Ghost Go Podcast. This is a very special edition of the pod. We are a few hours removed from Chelsea winning their second European Cup or European Championship, second Champions League trophy. 1-0 against Manchester City. Kai Havertz scored in the 42nd minute. Again, I'm Alex, here with Hugo. Hugo, welcome to the Ghost Gold Podcast once again. Thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here and up the Chelsea. I really appreciate that little uh, pep talk you gave us as we uh, intro the pod. I'm sure it will to make be, it To in. be frank, I was not aware that we were live, but let's just go with it. Well, that's the best stuff. That's why I started recording, because <laughs> because I sensed, you sensed it, that yeah. you were about to say yeah. something, uh, either one, funny, or two, entertaining, <laughs> and it ended up being kind of a little, a little bit, bit of both. A little bit of both. Oh, yeah. But it also perfectly encapsulates just how happy and excited that we are as Chelsea fans, both of us. Today has been a dream. It's been an absolute it's, dream. It's been nothing short of magical. I think we have to start. Obviously, we can go on and on and on about the uh, you know the, the the aftermath of the game, what it, like how great it was to see all of the players individually celebrating. But I feel like the most interesting thing to talk about is before the game, an hour before kickoff. Obviously, the the lineups were released. Chelsea with a very I mean, there weren't very very many surprises in Chelsea's lineup. It was the basic three four three that you've seen like throughout Tuchel's tenure. Yeah, uh, you saw Jorginho and Conte in midfield, which we kind of expected with Conte coming back from injury. Maybe the one surprise would have been that it was uh, Werner, Havertz, and Mount that started up top. No Pulisic, yeah. No Pulisic, no ZX, who had played very well in the two games uh, in the last month or two against Manchester right. City, um, and. I mean, but, but realistically, no no surprises with the Chelsea lineup. Manchester City, on the other hand, Pep Guardiola goes with a, a very, you know, normal back four. Zinchenko, Diaz, Stones, and Walker. Doesn't surprise anyone. No but then with his midfield options, he chooses De Bruyne, Gundogan, 
Bernardo Silva with uh, Mares, Foden, and um, Sterling as the front three. Six attacking players, no holding midfielder, and that was a massive gamble from an attacking perspective. And you can't blame him for it. I was honestly a little bit intimidated when I saw that lineup come out, but at the end of the day, I felt like if they're if we're gonna have a chance, I'd rather play against that. And him bringing on Fernandinho and what whatever it was the sixtieth, like maybe seventieth minute. That was just a sign that he kind of recognized that the goal that we scored was right down the middle, right down the heart, right down the spine of their formation. And if Fernandinho or Rodri had been there, maybe that opportunity wouldn't have arisen. So it's just a, that might have been a tactical error. He's known for making erratic decisions in big games. And it might have just bit him in the ass again. Let's like minimize the question or like make it as basic as possible. Years from now, when talking about this Champions League final, if someone who wasn't alive or like conscious to remember it asks you, like, did Pep fuck up the lineup? What would be your answer? I'd say no, and that Chelsea just played better. I, I would wholeheartedly agree because, yeah, of course, that, that that Pep Guardiola lineup, as strange as it was, because I feel like Manchester City fans, the ones I know at least. Uh, and interact with on social media. A lot of them were like the, the main debate was Fernandinho or Rodri. Which one of those two should start in midfield next to yeah. Gundogan and De Bruyne? And for then neither of those two players to be selected, like it definitely feels like some sort of you know swing in a very different direction than what people were expecting. And if that ends up being something that people criticize Pep for. I, I mean, I really can't get behind that because uh, I don't think Pep Guardiola had a bad game plan going into this. I just think the previous uh, uh, matchups and the the way Chelsea dealt with Manchester City in previous recent matchups, namely the uh, the Premier League game a couple of weeks ago, three weeks and ago, the FA Cup semi-final. and the FA Cup semifinal, we saw a lot of the same themes play out in this game. We were just able where, to stifle them. Where even though those two previous games were, you know, FA Cup semifinal, Premier League game right after a Champions League semifinal yeah. for both teams. They were very rotated teams in both those matchups, but the same principles stayed the same within Tuchel's yeah, team right. and with Guardiola's team. And they applied to the game today. And, I mean, overall, it obviously led to the same result as the previous two times. I'm just going to go out on a whim right now, even though I have no idea if this is true, and I'm just going to say I, I believe Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea are the first team to beat Pep Guardiola uh, three times in a row. Yeah, I, I have nothing to back that up. I'm probably gonna I don't look, remember. I'm probably going to look yeah. this up before I even post it, and I'll sound like an asshole, but I don't care because it, it, it feels realistic. Yeah. It, yeah. It, like, it's an absolutely astonishing yeah. feat. But, and I just want... The reason I bring up City first, Manchester City, is that I don't want to downplay how good of a Manchester City side no. this was yeah. that I Chelsea mean, beat. I mean, it's, it's something that we all it's know. Self-serving, it's self-serving, it's the true. League. But the league table does not lie. We know that. 30, yeah, they're, they're the best team in England. They're the games, best team in England. 38 games home and away. Like, seriously. They're like, arguably the best team in the world. And we were able to beat them in the biggest match in club football. So that, yes, of course, like you said, it's self-serving. But it's also, it puts this win in perspective because they're an insane team. So when earlier I was talking about their starting attacking six teams, like, oh, as if that was some sort of tactical or personnel misjudgment. It wasn't. Those six players are all players that can hurt you. They're all insanely phenomenal players, technically, every in every aspect. So, of course, I was nervous when I saw that lineup. But I just thought, 
we might, like, if we're able to neutralize that and we just can have a good defensive performance, then we'll be able to have a chance. And with Reese James and N'Golo Kante pocketing Sterling and just being aggressive and making those tackles, it just allowed us to weave our way through this yeah, I do insanely feel like- difficult matchup to win this trophy. And it just feels, it feels different from 2012 in a lot of different ways. But it feels almost better in certain ways. It's because all the players are so young and they stepped up to this occasion. Yeah, I, I do think it's worth mentioning that maybe one fault you can uh, can place on Manchester City and on Pep Guardiola is that they did really insist on attacking down their own left wing, Chelsea's right wing. The Chelsea's the, right the wing, wrong is, wing. Yeah, Reese James, right wing back, Aspilicueta, right center back, and usually it's N'Golo Kante, right midfield, and Jorginho, or sorry, Jorginho, left center midfield, N'Golo Kante, right center midfield, right. sort of dropping in. And that, that triad of players is arguably... The probably not the triangle. Probably not even arguably. It's probably undisputedly Chelsea's like three best defensive players and most physical and yeah. aggressive You, you do, don't want to go down that avenue. And Manchester City just just like like just insisted time after time. Raheem Sterling, yeah. uh, Zinchenko himself, uh, De Bruyne, other players. They were Forced trying to it. they were trying to overload that left side of their own midfield and right side of Chelsea's uh, wing in defense to try and get something out of it. When I mean, realistically, we have seen many many times before at at Chelsea and at uh, Leicester City before he came to Chelsea. Ben Chilwell has been had on toast by Riyad Mahrez many times in the past. Yeah, it's it's a matchup that if I was Pep Guardiola, I would have said I don't care if it's a three four three. I believe that Riyad Mahrez can get at Ben Chilwell. Yeah, target and if, that. And if Rudiger comes over and has to shift over and help out afterwards, and that's good. That just opens up opens up space for Mahrez to hopefully slip someone else in and you know get something off that. Yeah. But they just insisted on that that opposite wing, and it really came back to bite them because I mean. Reese James was phenomenal. phenomenal. He had an early, uh, an early defensive uh, play where uh, Raheem Sterling was played in behind by a beautiful ball by Ederson, and we yeah. know Ederson is the best in the world at the goalkeeping position Pings and it. pinging those balls in behind, and you know having a good chance at getting assists for himself, but. He pings a beautiful ball in behind. Raheem Sterling looks like he's in 1v1, and Reese James just comes out of nowhere and just taps it away for a, a corner kick. And, you know, from that moment on, you just knew, oh, Reese is on it. This there, this is not going to be an issue. And this this side of the, of the, yeah. of the field but, is not going to be an but issue. But for whatever reason, Man City themselves did not recognize that. And they, time after time, like you said... 60 to 70% of their efforts downfield in the final third, they targeted that wing. And it was like, that's the wrong side. Go test Chile. It's so obvious. Like, I don't know why they didn't do it, but thank God they didn't. It was just a matter of every time they forced it in, they would play it, you know, maybe a good first one, two, keep possession for a bit. And then N'Golo or Reese or both would just clamp them. And it was time after time. And they didn't seem to adapt, even as Jesus and Aguero came on. Like, the defensive solidity never wavered. So that was just something that laid on in the second half when we were all watching it. We felt confident because we were like, everyone is on point here. And it was just, it was a crazy feeling just realizing in the final moments that this was actually going to happen. And especially given the youth of our squad, it was borderline unimaginable. Yeah, I think you have to accept that in that first half, Chelsea obviously had multiple very, very good chances of their own. 
But for the early part, maybe the first 10 to 15 minutes, it was very much a, a case of Manchester City keeping possession, probing where in that Chelsea defense and that Chelsea uh, shape they could uh, try and get at. They had a few very good chances that were only kept out by, you know, that play like Reese James had that I mentioned before and an Antonio Rudiger block and Aspilicueta and, you know, multiple players in, in Chelsea's defense really keeping them out. Once that first 15, 20 minutes passed and we hadn't conceded, you knew it was game on. And from that point, there were multiple chances. I mean, Timo Werner, who has been a divisive figure among Chelsea fans and many fans around the world so far this season, had two very guilt-edged chances himself that he he really should have finished at least one. The, the first one that he just like mishit from the cutback from, I think it was either Chilwell or Havertz, he uh, yeah. it's 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 a guilt tank chance habits yeah it's a guilt tank chance he should at least get something on target he but it. he just completely whiffed at it the second chance was a, a side pass by mount who's making a very good run with the ball into manchester city's box he had a 2v1 situation laid it off to verner and the ball was just slightly behind verner he yeah. couldn't he couldn't generate any power on it and he put it right at Ederson, and you know it, it goes down as you know of probably the best chance of the game up to that point uh, is missed. And there's a couple other chances going around to other players that you think, oh, Chelsea have played their best football after that initial onslaught by Manchester City. They haven't scored, so yeah. now this is we're we're in bad we're in bad territory That's right now. That's how it felt. But then the half closes out. You have a nice. Uh, I don't even know if I would call it a counterattack, but it's it's it's, it's nice a, distribution. It's an early outlet. It gets out to Ben Chilwell. He keeps possession well. He lays it off to Mason Mount. When Mason Mount plays an absolute Peach. perfectly weighted ball Peach. into Kai Havertz, he rounds Ederson, scores the goal. I, I'm back here at my parents' place uh, <laughs> because I, I'm obviously I was raised as a Chelsea fan. My dad passed down his Chelsea fanhood to us. Uh, I'm I'm here with my brother for that reason. We're family. both Chelsea fans. Family like, team. You know, Chelsea's part of our family. Blue is our the, the color of our blood. When that goal goes in, the pop that you get in the stadium, obviously with fans in it, and we're all so happy to see that paled in comparison to what me and my family, me, my brother Woo. Hugo, my dad, my mom, the vibes, my my dog Black Lab, unmatched, named, named Chelsea. The pop that we have in that room is just Ooh. fantastic. Insane. And I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll ever forget that. They're, 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 We've sat in our living room so many times and watched Chelsea matches and been disappointed and been elated by results year after year. That will I will never lose that memory. Yes, yeah, but that's what makes it all worth it. That moment of just absolute anarchy and euphoria. That's just how it felt. It was indescribable. It was just. What? But but I do want to mention, obviously, so many plaudits need to be had for uh, Mason Mount for playing that beautiful ball for, for yeah. Kai Havertz for right. round, rounding Ederson and finishing. Yeah. But I mentioned Timo Werner and his missed chances uh, earlier in that half, and you, it's only fair that you mention that as soon as Mason Mount picks up that ball, cuts inside and looks up to play a ball in behind, Timo Werner, before Mason Mount has even turned to look up and see where he should play it, Timo Werner is just running as fast as he can in behind on the left wing. And he knows that with that run, he's going to draw the right back 
the right center back. He's going to draw both of those defenders away with him off into that corner. And with that run, I don't want to say he single-handedly sets up the goal, but he's he he has a third hand in Mason Mount and Kai Havertz's excellence in producing that goal. So you may not see it on the stat sheet. You may you may criticize Timo for not scoring enough goals, for not finishing his chances. I believe that criticism is definitely worthy. But you have to acknowledge the impact that he has off the ball and off the stat sheet. He's an absolutely phenomenal and uh, hardworking player that I, I I have to say is pivotal to Chelsea's Champions League success this year. Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard issue to de- to defend when you're talking to non Chelsea fans, where you know they have a lot of valid criticisms of Timo because when you buy a striker like that, the final expectation, the ultimate measure by which you judge them, is their goals. But then it's you have to take the time to explain that like he has a high work rate. He makes important runs that open up big spaces, like you just described. All of those things, those are important. And you know, I'm still in the Timo camp. But at the end of the day, it's just that's a stay until he can start scoring. Because obviously, with a striker, that's the expectation. But if you watch the Chelsea games week after week, you can't deny the things that he does. Like you said, that don't show up on the stat sheet. And he contributed today in his own way. It was almost like a very characteristically team over in her game. But just to have Mason be the one whose creativity, Mason and Kai, those two moments, to have that be the difference in the biggest game in club football this year is just... It's, it's hard to describe because they're both so young and the future that's ahead for them is... So exciting. Right. I, I bring up Werner and mention him for that goal because, I, I mean, I'm obviously trying to make up for the fact that, that there were some very glaring misses earlier in the game that, you know, people can right, rightfully criticize. But I bring that up because it's like a partial assistance in, uh, you know, the overall gameplay, you know, the, the, the team winning. Like that little moment that won't show up in the stat sheet is ultimately... A, a, contributing factor to the team winning. Yeah. But a player that we have to mention that, you know, obviously doesn't show up on the stat sheet tonight, doesn't show up on the assist or goal scoring sheet for tonight and who won the game, but was ultimately voted as man of the match is N'Golo Kante. And we would be completely remiss when talking about this game if we didn't mention N'Golo Kante because... Chelsea had been missing him. There were, uh, you know, he had a, a an injury against Arsenal, I think a week or two ago in the Premier League, where he played the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the match, pulled up and said, I think I'm going to pull my hamstring. I feel like my uh, the muscle in this hamstring is very limber and is going to go at any moment. I need to be taken off. He was taken off. Chelsea suffered the consequences. We lose against Arsenal. We He plays against Leicester in the FA Cup final. Yeah. He's good, but, you know, obviously the finest of margins leads to Chelsea not winning that game. He's left out of the, uh, the or sorry, he starts the Leicester game and then the, the same thing happens against Leicester where he's taken out after 15, 20 minutes for Kovacic. Doesn't start again against Aston Villa last week in the last Premier League game of the, uh, of the season. An absolutely pivotal game that we at the time needed to win. And the team goes to shit. We can't create anything offensively because we don't have his ability to win the ball back in specific areas and trigger counterattacks. Yeah. And he comes right back in 
after these injuries, which have plagued him not just in the last like couple of weeks at the end of the season, he's ha- he's had injuries or been trying to play through an injury ever since that Europa League final in 2019 against Arsenal. And he was phenomenal once again. He had man of the match in both the first and second leg against Real Madrid in the, in the semifinal. Yeah. Wins man of the match tonight, despite you know not registering a, a goal or assist to, to to you know decide the game. But every other facet of the game, N'Golo Kante was a factor. Yeah, Manchester City, you could tell, were trying to pass so that they could avoid his section of the field and. Even when they did that, he was, you know... They still couldn't. They still couldn't. And it was just watching what he did tonight. It was another great performance by him. Like you said, three consecutive Man of the Match performances. And to me, you know, his performance tonight and winning this trophy, if you look at his ascendancy over the last, you know, six or seven years, his rise is unprecedented. And this just kind of solidified his legacy as, you know, one of the best box-to-box midfielders of this generation. And for me, it's him and Modric and a few others up there for the best mid- central midfielders in this generation. And there's an argument to be had there for him being the best overall in terms of his two-way contributions. And uh, just to see it all come together, like I said, with the young players that we have, especially going forward, and to see Pulisic coming on and being a part of it, it's just it's, it's like almost hard to describe. So one more really pivotal moment in the game that I want to talk about, uh, at least on Chelsea's behalf, was midway through that first half, Thiago Silva was engaged in a challenge which eventually led to him going off with a groin injury. And that, that starting back three of Aspilicueta, Silva, Rudiger was very clearly a choice by Thomas Tuchel where you know he's stuck to this 3-4-3 for a majority of his time at Chelsea. He wanted his three most experienced options available and at their best for this very difficult uh, matchup in Manchester City. So with Thiago Silva forced off, Andreas Christensen is brought back on. It's his first meaningful action since that Manchester City league game uh, three weeks ago where he was uh, forced off after uh, you know making the mistake that led to City's goal that uh, let them go ahead 1-0. He comes back on, and I mean, I'm one of the I'm one of the biggest. Probably, I consider myself the biggest Andreas Christensen fan uh, on the planet. I have never doubted him at at all in his ability to be a world class ball playing and uh, reading of the game type center back. The the same kind of player that John Stones is, but I, I think. Maybe even has the potential to be a little bit better than that. He excels in that center back position in the middle of a three, which he slotted into uh, one like for like when uh, Silva was off. And from from then on, I mean, in possession, he was flawless. His reading of the game when uh, defending was excellent. And he even had a, uh, a great block of a shot and uh, helped the ball on to get cleared out right yeah. at the end of the game. Arguably City's most dangerous moment in that period of the game. And he just anticipated it. He did it a few, he did it a few times well. And we were all saying to each other when Thiago Silva went off, we were like, that's unfortunate, but we don't feel any less confident in that back three with Andreas in there because, like you said, he filled in for a long string of important Premier League games where he delivered. And he filled into that role, and he like filled 
the shoes of Thiago Silva. So it's like, it was kind of hard to question his ability to play that role, and he delivered on all fronts. Another notable event that happened in the game was the collision between Antonio Rudiger and Kevin De Bruyne. On purpose or no, by Rudiger? It, it was hard for me to tell, obviously. I was biased. I was three hazies deep, and it was it was, <laughs> it was hard to make an an, unbi- an impartial decision on that. As opposed to what, like nine yeah. hazies deep What now? do you mean, like now? <laughs> but regardless, it definitely seemed like a questionable call. Maybe it could have been looked at. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, but, I wouldn't have but, been mad if they, gave him a, is, I understand, if they gave Rudiger I, a yellow for that. That wouldn't have been Yeah, crazy. no, a yellow. No, no, I'm just saying it's, it's, either an, it's either a yellow or a red, but you could make an argument for either. The question for me was just like, when I first looked at De Bruyne, I was like, all right, he has a black eye. Like, why are you going off for that? And then you, you and Dad were like, oh, well, he's likely concussed. And then we saw him walking down the stairs to go in the the, tu- the tunnel, and I was like, "Oh, I rescind everything I said," because he definitely was shaken up by that. And for him to go off at that point in the game where it was really pivotal, like that was the inflection point of the game, and their most important player came off, and it was just it, at that point it really started to feel like we had the upper hand. Because it was nervy before that, and then we had this level of confidence where we knew De Bruyne wasn't I, on the I field. Mean, it's easy to say that now after the game, obviously, like the results decided. But in the moment, even when De Bruyne went off, it, you obviously think this is their best player. It's obviously, if you had to pick one player for them to get injured, it would be Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. And I'm not usually the kind of I, I'm not the kind of guy that thinks like, oh yes, that player is off injured. That's great, but like that that's an undoubted fact that if he goes off, you think, oh, that's their best creative player. He can play balls to a, an area in the box that, From anywhere with the precision that no one else can. But at the same time, they still have the, the capability to bring on multiple players with. If not exactly the same uh, delivery as De Bruyne. Somewhere around the same level, you know. So it's, I, yeah, like, I didn't think that much of it. But I mean, obviously, Chelsea end up going on and winning the match after some very resolute defending in the second half. But I want to go ahead and uh, and make the statement right now, which I've heard like a couple of pundits say, but I don't know if enough people are going to get behind this and and have this be the general rhetoric of the match. But Chelsea were the rightful winners. Yeah. I mean, even it. though Manchester City had a lot of the possession uh, and, you know, pushed Chelsea back within our own half, I, I don't think it's outside of, you know, the reasonable like realm of possibility to say Chelsea were happy to be yeah. within our own half um, and we, to, you know, right. keep City outside of our own shape. And when we won the ball back, we had multiple weapons like Werner and Havertz. And, and, and we certainly had the better share of the major chances that yeah. appeared in the game. That's I, that's I, I honestly think three of the five best chances of the game were Chelsea's, which is like it's still a very, you know, uh a slight margin. advantage. It's a fine margin. But, but that's we obviously how it is. managed to take our one really good chance. But the chance that was probably equatable for Manchester City, the Raheem Sterling ball in behind uh from Ederson, Reese James was able to get in there and perfectly time his uh, tackle to stop that chance from ending up as a goal. And ultimately, so, the only real Manchester City highlight that I ended up playing in the in the post-game highlights was that Mares kind of 
volley that was, you know, uncomfortably close, but it was half chance, you know? Yeah. Like there were no major chances that were absolute uh absolutely you know, that stood out in a way that really worried us. So it was experiencing those final thirty minutes of the game and our defensive solidity, the way the back three and the wing backs worked together with the two central midfielders and how bringing on Kovacic changed that dynamic. We were all questioning it. We were like, don't bring off Mount. But it ended up being the right decision because we really did shut down shop. And, you know, maybe that's part of Chelsea's legacy. Maybe that's a part that people don't like. But at the end of the day, we have the trophy in our hands. So there's nothing that you can say. I'm going to finish on uh, one final question. N'Golo Kante was man of the match. That's undisputed. He won the award. He fully deserves it. Don't even talk. (laughs) But if you had to give your own man of the match to any player except N'Golo Kante, who would you give it to? Reese James. Reese James put Raheem Sterling so deep in his pocket, he's below the pennies. He can't even find him underneath his keys and his fucking condoms. <laughs> he can't find him. He's so deep down. He's just been there for months. That's how it is. And that's where Reese James put him. And it was that interaction between himself and N'Golo that I don't, like we discussed earlier, I don't know why they targeted that, that wing. It was a misguided decision. And Reese James sh- pulled up with the new haircut and just clamped everybody in sight. And he should be starting for England at the Euros. You heard it here first. No, no, you didn't hear it. I mean, well, you, actually, you know what? You did hear it here first. But not from me. But it wasn't from you. It was from me right, in right. previous podcasts right. because Reese James is an absolute right. tank. If you have any more questions about Reese James, just go ahead and watch this game back and ask how he performed in the biggest or game. Or just tweet at me, ASMOS92, and ask me for my opinion on Reese James. And I'll give you the comprehensive lowdown on uh, how good Reese James is right now and has the potential to be. He's a monster. But I'm going to answer the question that I posed to you. Pick a player for Man of the Match that isn't N'Golo Kante. And my pick is Mason Mount. Because That's Mason cool. Mount, if you even if you take out the perfectly weighted through ball that he plays to Kai Havertz for the only goal of the game, his work rate, which has become a regular occurrence for him. That's, that's part of what makes him a great player. His work rate off the ball, his ability to press, and his intelligence in how he presses, when he presses, which player he decides to get a little bit tighter to in certain situations. It, it's not really something that you can quantify with stats, but when you watch the game and you think, who the fuck is that guy running around at breakneck pace trying to pressure players into playing a ball that's maybe a bit too risky and ends up going out for a throw-in for Mason Mount's own team. Or playing a ball that gets intercepted by one of the center backs. It's it's these little things that will never show up on the stat sheet for Mason Mount that make him that little extra bit special. And even then, he has the highlight reel of playing that little uh, one-two with uh, Ben Chilwell in the build-up to the goal and then turning and playing a perfectly weighted pass for Kai Havertz to round Ederson and score. Put it all together, and you know what? Mason Mount is going to win a Ballon d'Or someday. <laughs> I heard that earlier. Don't laugh. Chat. No, no, I'm not. No, it's no, not no, a joke. I heard that earlier in a group chat. And I'm it's just, not a joke. Mason ha- Mount no, will I'm be... Laughing. I'm laughing because I'm happy that we're in a position where we can make that claim and it doesn't sound ridiculous. I mean, and... he's 22 years old. All I can say to end this podcast is that Frank Lampard joined Chelsea at about 21 years old from West Ham after having a, a pretty good and promising career as a teenager there, 
he didn't have anywhere close to the same uh, goal and assist statistical output in his first two or three years for Chelsea from 21 onwards that Mason Mount has had in his last two years. Mason Mount statistically has outranked Frank Lampard in his first couple of years at Chelsea by a mile. And that's not even taking into account the work rate and uh, all the intangibles that don't come onto the stat sheet. So I'm not going to sit here and say Mason Mount will be a better player than Frank Lampard. That's not what I'm going to say. But Mason Mount just won a Champions League final at 22 years old. Recognize and watch out. I love Phil Foden. He's a great player. But Mason Mount is the fucking truth, everyone. It's the truth. He is England's best player in midfield. He will win a Ballon d'Or in his career. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. You're getting in my way, man. Come on. I'm on a roll here. You're just sitting here trying to like whisper hype manning me up. <laughs> but I really feel this, honestly. Mason Mount is a fantastic footballer. He's a treasure to Chelsea. Probably the most true blue academy product we've had since John Terry. And I fucking love him, man. I, I love this team. Despite the ups and downs, the the 5-2 against West Brom, the 1-0 against Arsenal, the FA Cup final loss to Leicester from a bullshit handball in the build-up to Leicester's goal. To turn around and win this Champions League final 1-0 is... It's proper Chelsea. It's such a statement, and it, it, it's just—it's just the way Chelsea do things. It's just how we pull up. We pull up on you four to one odds to win, and then we just deliver. <laughs> this is how we do it. Did, we did, don't win on Did you place a bet on Chelsea? Of course, about twenty to one sixty. There we go. You like that? You like that, Andrew? If you're listening to this, you got to have Hugo on yeah, uh, plus put, money. Put me on plus money. But the 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 final point on this is that we are the champions of Europe with a young squad and we're here to stay and the future is bright the only direction is up I don't have the odds in front of me but uh, if you're near a computer go take a look at the 2021-2022 <laughs> Premier League Champions lot odds yeah take a look at Chelsea and uh, let, me, let me know what you think take a little future on that Hugo thank you for being on this pod with me about a pleasure Chelsea are the champions of Europe. We wouldn't have it any other way. You can follow us on social media at ASMOS92 for my Instagram and Twitter. At HugoMoss5 on Instagram, baby. At JavierRev9 for Javier. At Andrew Passaro for Andrew's uh, socials. And at GhostGoldPod for the podcast social media. And until next time, up the Chels! Up the Chels! <laughs>